Hello, everyone, and welcome to Choices, Finding Your Joy. I am so happy to share with everyone today an absolutely amazing woman. We have with us today Dr. Sharon Prentice. She is a psychotherapist and spiritual counselor whose work focuses on helping patients process the grief of losing a loved one. She is the author of Becoming Starlight, Surviving Grief and Mending the Wounds of Loss. You have uh, experience to share. You have wisdom. Sharon, I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, you're, we're soul sisters, kiddo, so I, I like this. This is good. Thank you. We are. We are. We are meant to meet and we are meant to share such great information with, with my audiences. So let's begin with, do you want to share a bit of your background and what prompted you to write this, this fantastic book? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I had never, ever thought of writing a book at all. And the book actually came about because of my patients and the losses that I had suffered in my life. At a very early age, uh, I was 19, uh, my first pregnancy, my daughter actually died in my arms very shortly after birth, and that sent me on such a downward spiral. I did not know how to deal with it. There was, you know, you're not prepared uh, mm -hmm. at that age or really at any age for death when you've never, ever experienced it. I mean, even my grandparents were alive. So losing my first child was definitely not something that I knew how to handle. And at the same time, my husband was getting sick and it took eight long years for him to be diagnosed. He had pancreatic cancer and he also died um, with my arms wrapped around him. And that just, at, at that particular moment in time, I had what's called a shared death experience, which absolutely changed my life. That's why I do what I do. I had never thought of becoming a psychiatrist or, or a psychologist at all. I knew I was headed to medical school, but I hadn't made up my mind. But because there was no one whatsoever for me to talk to, I decided that I was going to be that person that other people could talk to and I would understand what they were saying and, and what they weren't saying and what was underneath that wasn't able to be formed into words, which is really the important part. So that's why I do what I do. And I wrote Starlight after many years because I've been with so many people as they, as they have died um, and their families. And I always told them my story of the shared death experience with when my husband died. And they all said to me, could you write this down for us? They didn't care if it was in a letter or a card or whatever it was. They wanted me to write it down so that when we were no longer together, years from the occurrence of, of whoever it was that died, they could go back and refer to it and remember everything that we had talked about um, to regain their spirit, regain their energy, and understand that life goes on. Yeah. That energy, that consciousness, that, that thing that is really us does not just disappear into nothingness. So that's why Starlight was written for them and for my daughter and my husband, because even the short time that they're on this earth, their lives and their death matter to so many people and they, their lives and again, their death affected uh, whole communities. So 
That's why I finally just gave it up and said, I'm going to write it down. The starlight was born. I love it because it's so true. Things can happen in our life and we don't always have someone to talk to to help and help us understand. I, I know personally, and I share a bit about that in my book, Why Am I So Happy? I had a brother that died suddenly, and then I had a husband that became ill, and I watched that progression of him yeah. passing away. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it's hard, and everyone around you, you know, cares, and but really, you kind of just don't know where to go with your mind, and you have to figure it out. Yeah, because as a society, Western society, we do not talk about death. And I'm sure a lot of that is because we do not want to admit the fact that we are mortal. And even more than that, we do not want to even think about the fact that the people we love are also mortal. And that something could happen and we could lose it all in a breath. We, We don't know how to deal with that. So when it happens, it's not an if, it's when it happens, we are left virtually alone we feel so isolated and yes you're right people around you care and they they say the things that they think are going to help but until you've been there you don't really know because so many things there are no words for you know there are some feelings that go so deep into your soul that you can you literally cannot form the words for it and everyone around you tries to do that um, and sometimes it makes it worse and you know it they try, and I don't take anything away from them for that. I think it's great, you know, the love that we get from people for a while. And we are told then how to grieve, what to do, what to say, a time limit, you know, all, all of those things. We just don't know how to deal with it. Yes, that is so true. That is so true. Would you tell the audience, please, what is the shared death experience, the SDE? What right. is that? The shared death experience is almost identical to a near-death experience, except there's a glaring, there's a glaring exception. In the near-death experience, a person who is having that experience is close to death or has died and, you know, come back, that that whole scenario. The shared death experience happens to a person, I call it being invited along to witness the aftermath of physical death. There was nothing wrong with me, nor is there anything wrong with other people that I know around the globe that have had these types of experiences. We are merely invited along and we get to see what's out there. And that's what happened to me at the moment of my husband's death. What was that like, Sharon? Oh, you know, the it, even when I wrote the book, I really, I really struggled to find the words because there are no words to describe exactly what these experiences are like. I don't think in our human condition that we are meant to experience what these types of things are. You, you can line up every word you ever thought of that's you know, wondrous, marvelous, awesome, uh, you know, all of these comforting, beautiful words and none of them even come close to the amount, the degree of love and care and comfort and peace and joy. All of those words, you go through every one of them in these experiences until you get to the point 
where all you have to do is just be. You don't have to think, you don't have to do, you don't have to try, you don't have to do anything. You just are. And for me, that was when I realized that everything I had been taught my whole life about God, about heaven, about hell, about all of that, none of it made sense anymore. None of it made sense. It did not fit what I was going through. And that changed absolutely everything about me, about what I believed, about the way I lived my life, the way my family lived their life, uh, realizing what my truth was, what I found. I call it that place. I don't call it heaven because as soon as you say the word heaven, your mind goes to those things that you were taught as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this solid place with you know, the, the golden streets and the mansions and all of that, which is the nothing at all like what the experience was. So that's why I don't say heaven. I say that place because I don't want anyone to get those preconceived, you know, lessons and yeah. notions in their mind. Oh, this is where she was. Yeah. Um, so that, that's what a shared death experience is. That's amazing. What it, it just fascinates me. Any thoughts on what may trigger someone to be able to have that shared death experience? How, you know, how, if I had the answer to that, Paula, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so many people ask me that. And there really is no rhyme or reason as to why these things happen and, and who they happen to. I have thought about it my experience for so many years and I really think it was threefold for me when my daughter died I was the angriest most rage-filled woman that you would ever ever want to meet and I set up this existential battle with God and with death I was going to beat them at their own game and I became a major control freak you know and I'm thinking if I can control everything then nothing bad will ever happen again. And if there was a God, I thought he had to be the most evil, evil entity that the universe ever had seen. And so I fought God constantly. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't nice about it. And then, of course, my husband getting sick the whole time he was. So anyway, at the moment of his death, I just surrendered. Do you know what real surrender is? You know, that's when you just let go of everything. And there was no ego left. There was no, there was no nothing. And it was kind of like, okay, I just, I just surrender. I'm, I'm just not here anymore. I'm not me. And I think at that moment, this sounds funny, but I really believe this. I think my husband said to God, and I do call him God. A lot of people say source, creation, whatever works for you. For me, it was God. I think he said to God, you know what? You got to throw her a bone, okay? She's not going to survive this if we don't do something. So can you bring her so she can see? And I think that was one reason, really, too. I think Steve's love was so immense. And seeing everything that I was going through and having gone through it with me and, you know, with our daughter, he knew how difficult it was going to be. And then I've done a lot of research since then. At the moment of his death, the people in the room said that this noise that came out of me was just this guttural, you know, and that was that moment of surrender. And I really believe that what I tapped into there was a sacred word. You know, 
the heart of hearts, the sacred word. A lot of people would then go into centering prayer, which is really called the prayer of the heart, because the mystics have long believed that the heart of hearts is that space within your heart where there are two entities allowed to use that word, God, mm-hmm. and you, your consciousness, because you, you are that divine breath of God. That's the only reason you're here is because he thought of you. Okay, it's a, we are all these thoughts of God and without that we wouldn't exist. And then he breathed life into that thought. So he lives in here and I think I tapped into that at that moment. So Steve's love and God saying, all right, all right, come on, shut up. I'm going to show you, you know, <laughs> and me tapping into that divine source that wasn't me, wasn't me. It was him and that. It was God, and that's what powered me, I believe. And no one will ever convince me otherwise. I love that. That that is what gave me that experience. Yeah. And, you know, I love that, that we, that breath. Mm-hmm. Because every one of us was meant to be here. Yes. And we are all unique and beautiful in our own way. And just thinking about that is so wonderful. Well, you know, we are all, and I know you've heard this a thousand different times in a thousand different places, we are all that expression of God. And at first I didn't believe, I didn't understand what that was, you know, before this experience. I, I had no clue, and I'm thinking, what? You know, and I read the I Am Chronicles and all that, and I'm going, what? That's almost blasphemous. Mm-hmm. But then when I had this experience, and I've been with so many people, as they have passed from this world into that place, that it is God's breath alone that gave life to that thought of, I need, I need to express myself this way and bam, there's Paula. You know, and I need to express <laughs> my, myself this way and boom, there's sharing. And then that, that all-consuming breath, that's why we're here. Yes. And that's, I think, what I tapped into. Yes. Isn't that amazing? It really was. And like I said, it was, it altered my life and my family's life from that moment on, from that moment on. And I knew that what I needed to do was find someone to talk to me about everything that had happened. And that just led me into, I need to be that person when someone says to me, I'm scared. I'm afraid. What, what's going to happen to me or worse? That's my child. That's my child. What am I going to do? I'm so scared. That's why I do what I do because I tell them my story in an effort to take away even just an iota of fear. If I can do that for them, then I have succeeded that day. Yes. Oh, you, you are so precious to do that. And the fact that what you've experienced, you can have an understanding that so many can't. I was just traveling yesterday at the airport, sitting next to a family, and they were telling me how they had lost a child. Yeah. And, you know, unless you, you really, you don't have that understanding. You can have sympathy unless you experience it because- It's like beyond. It's unimaginable. Really? Yes. Yeah. It is absolutely unimaginable. I just yeah. did. I just did an article, um, 
about the myth of closure after the death of a child. Because there are, you know, when you lose a parent, you lose your parents, you're an orphan. When you lose a husband, you're a widow or, you know, a widower. All of it. There is no word in any language that has ever been spoken on this earth that is a label for a person who has lost a child. Yes. And that is because it is so alien to our souls yes. that it just, it, it, it's impossible to name it. Impossible to name it. And really, unless you have been there, yes, you can sympathize and you can feel God awful horrible, but to truly be in there and understand it, I'm very glad that people don't understand it who've never experienced it because I would not want my worst enemy to experience that. And you making the choice to help others who were experiencing losing. I had to, I had, I really had no choice because I remember how I struggled and how I fell from grace. I mean, talk about having your face in the muck and the mire. Mm -hmm. I did. And there was no one to help pull me out of that. There wasn't a minister, my parents, my husband, nobody, nobody could pull me out of that because they didn't understand. My husband was going through his own things, yes. you know, and he had his, but for her to die in my arms and there was no one, you know, and then of course I started hearing that you're going to have more children. Yeah. Okay. You know, people always want to say that and this will get better. And the worst of all, God knows best, you know, those types of things that people yeah. think they need to say. Yeah. And I, I tell people all the times now, if you don't know for sure, you don't have to say anything. Yeah. Just be with them, touch them, hold them, just yeah. sit silently, and let them know you're there. That's all people need. I love that. Oh, so Sharon, what advice would you have for the the our audience who is dealing at this time with losing a loved one? What would you say to them? You know, every situation is different. But one of the things that I always tell people, and this is a very easy thing for everyone to do, whether you're actually facing death or not, open your mouth and start talking. Because if you don't, the regrets, the coulda, woulda, shouldas, okay? Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I, I walk into rooms all the time after the diagnosis has come in and it's definitely silent. No one's talking, there's no music, there's no TV, there's no nothing. Mm -hmm. And people are sitting there terrified because they don't know what to say. So I'll walk into the room, I'll turn on the radio, I'll turn on the TV, I'll, I'll do whatever. And I tell people, you don't have to be the smartest in the room, you don't have to be the wisest. You just have to be the loudest, you know, to get the conversation started. And you, you need to say everything like, I have loved having you in my life. It is not it is not bad to admit, okay, that you are losing someone. Most people think if you, if you say to someone, you have no idea how much I'm going to miss you and, and how this is going to affect my life. Most people say they don't want to say that because they're trying to protect the other person. But that's not what that person needs to hear. What that person needs to hear is you're going to be all right. Yes. And when you say to someone, I have loved you, every moment you have been with me has made my life so complete and so wonderful even if you've had arguments and you haven't talked mm -hmm. in a long long time all of these things can come out and so the person who is actually leaving mm -hmm. knows they're going to be okay now if we're dealing with a child i tell people and this sounds this is going to sound strange i tell people listen listen to what your child is saying to you i have learned more valuable lessons from children 
as they were passing from this world because they're closer to heaven. They're closer to God than we are. They have not been jaded yet. And the things that come out of their little mouths, listen to your children and your answer for living again is going to come out of the mouth of your child. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I do tell people, please don't live in the fear of death because what happens then is the, the, the consequence of living in fear and de- of death is living in fear of life. Mm-hmm. I don't want people, a lot of times people then become very, very frightened. You know, if someone gets a fever, oh my God, here we go again. Um, listen to what's going on in the room. Listen to the person who's passing, especially your child. If, these, if they're able to talk, say everything you need to say and just be there. And that's what I do. I try to get rid of the fear to get people to talk to each other. And that makes, that makes the entire process so much easier because, you know, it's two totally separate processes. There's the process of death and then there's the actual dying and they're totally different. Yes. So that's what I do. (laughs) Oh, Sharon, it's, it's amazing. I, and everyone goes through losses like this. Everyone, like I said, there's, it's not an if, it's a when. Yes, it is. It's a when. It's, yeah. it's what happens. And for your wisdom, I, I would love you to share with everyone how they can get a copy of your, your fantastic book as well, please. You can really get it just about anywhere. On Amazon is probably the easiest. Um, Barnes & Noble, the indie stores. Uh, you can go to my website, which is the www.sharonprentice.com. Um, you can get it off of there. If you want it, you can find it. So <laughs> it's all over the place. I love it. I love it. Because that that message that you share really does need to get out there because we all are experiencing things. Well, you know, the last chapter in the book is called Should I Be Afraid? Mm-hmm. And it was titled that because that is the question that I am asked and I have been asked by every single person in every single family is, should I be afraid or should we be afraid? And then my story can come pouring out because most people, believe it or not, are afraid that they're just going to disappear into nothingness as if they never even existed. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. Yes. And you know, we can be overcome with anger. Oh yes, oh yes. I, I was raised by my aunt and uncle, and I adored my uncle. I adored my uncle. And at 17, he found out he had an illness, and he passed away a few months later. And yeah. I was so angry with God. Sure. With oh, the world. Yes. yes. How could you take this wonderful man? I was so yes. angry. It's the only time in my life I wanted to commit suicide. I almost drove yeah. off the highway. Yeah. And, you know, we're told you can't be angry with God. You, no, 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 you can't be angry with God. But you know what happens in those situations? When people are angry with God, you want to know why? Because they're waking up. That is a spiritual awakening. And the end result of that, if you follow it through to its natural end, is God is not this outside force, this 
Charlton Heston creature from the Ten Commandments up in heaven somewhere, getting ready to throw a, a lightning bolt at you to do something or say something wrong. That God is this incredible, all-loving force that animates everything. And, and getting angry is the first step into realizing that, wait a minute, what am I angry at? You know, we always say it's God. And then we say, well, why do these things happen? And there's a progression of questions that you're going to go through that take you to, well, you know, death really is part of the deal. You know, life and death, it, it's, it's part of the deal. That's, that's when we don't want to look at our mortality and we have to. Yes. And for me, that's when I decided I'm going to be so grateful that I had him in my life. Yes. So grateful. Yes. And that, and it, that is so important. That gratitude. You know, most people will go for years and years and years remembering the grief, mm -hmm. remembering the pain, remembering the actual moment of death and then remembering I should have done this and I should have done that and I should have said this and you know instead of the gratitude that this wonderful this wonderful being with this energy and this love and this all of that was actually in your life and made you a better person because of it so and, and making that switch all involves getting rid of the fear yeah oh Sharon, that is so beautiful. With just a couple moments left in the show, sure. what last words do you want to share with everyone, Sharon? Oh, gosh. Oh, um, man. You know, it sounds so trite, but just love each other. I mean, really, we, you know, we, we worry about everything. And I do tell my patients and I tell my other clients that worry is, I mean, fear is just worry on steroids, okay? And I mean, it's just true. And it doesn't do a thing to extend your life. If anything, it goes back, you know, the other way. And for every minute that you're worried about something that causes fear and separation, you can't get that back. Yeah. So just love each other and be truthful and be honest and don't be afraid to live. Don't be afraid to live. Yes. Yes. I, I know, like I said, it's, it sounds very easy, but it's not in practice. It's not that easy to do because we put so many obstacles in front of our own faces, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and breaking those down. Yeah. That's and the important thing. Even if it's taking steps to that accomplishment, we can do it. Little by little, baby steps, baby steps. You know, that's how you get there. It, I took a leap. Yes. because I was given that experience and not everyone is, but everybody can get to that point. Yes. Um, you know, I think, like I said, that happened to me because I was supposed to be doing this. I didn't have a choice. Uh -huh. This was one of those things that I was like, I've got to do this. So, oh, I'm so everybody grateful. can get there though. <laughs> I love it. I'm so grateful. Please, before we say goodbye, will you share your website with everyone one more time, please? Sure. It's dot. SharonPrentice.com. Oh, thank you. Oh, love, hugs, and blessings, Sharon. You and too, honey. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Everybody out there, love, hugs, and blessings. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week.
Are you looking to open the beautiful door to the beautiful modality of Reiki, a hands-on energy healing modality? Radio host, Reiki master, speaker, and published author, Paula Vale would be honored to assist you in your Reiki training. For details, go to wellnessinspired.com. You may also contact Paula at paula at wellnessinspired.com to schedule your training.